In your Bible today, the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as soon as you find it, stand with me as we read God's Word together, beginning in verse 1. The title today is Living in the Last Days, Living in the Last Days, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous or dangerous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, and from such turn away. And if you go down to verse 12 with me, yea, and all that live godly during this time in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Thank you. You may be seated. Living in the last days, a little boy meant to say to his pastor, that was a prophetic sermon, pastor, but he got confused and he said, that was a pathetic sermon, pastor. And I hope today nobody's going to leave and say, that was a pathetic sermon there, Brother Bill. I hope you will not do that because it's an attempt to be a very prophetic sermon as we talk about living in the last days. I don't need to tell you how perilous the times are this morning. The world is on the brink. That is reality. And we should not duck it here thinking that we're just going to be inspired and and stick our heads in the sands. We can't do that. Adrian Rogers always has the ability to turn a phrase. He said, it is growing gloriously dark. (laughs) I like that, don't you? It is gloriously dark because we know that the darker it gets, the more the chance that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And if you have been watching the news as I have with what is happening in Ukraine, with what is happening in Israel and in other places around the world, you have to wonder, is this it? Have you thought about that since you've been watching? Is this it? Is this the beginning of those battles that the Bible describes in Ezekiel 38 and 9 and other places in the Scripture? Is this it? And so today, I thought I would speak to you about our living in the last days and understanding the times, if you will. First, let me talk to you for a few moments about the importance of Bible prophecy. The importance of Bible prophecy. You see, I believe Bible prophecy is just all important. But I also know, I've watched people through the years, and I 
I've even seen a decline in the interest of people, of Christian people in America, and I speak in a very general sense, but I've watched a decline in the interest of prophecy. It's almost like prophecy has suffered some sort of a credibility problem. I think largely that's due to the fact that we've had people who have set dates for the rapture and the coming of the Lord, and of course those dates never turn out to be true. The one thing you know if somebody sets a date, it's not going to happen that day because the Lord said nobody knows the day and the hour. So I think for whatever reason, there's been this waning interest. Maybe it's Satan has just stolen something from our minds and hearts that is one of the most important teachings in all the Bible. Of all the sacred books of the world's religions, you know, they all have a book. We have the Bible. The Muslims have, for example, the Quran, and the Hindus have the Bhagavad Gita, and various other sacred scriptures. Of all the sacred books of the world's religions, only the Bible attempts to foretell the future. Let me define prophecy for you so that I will know that everyone here has a good comprehension so that we will communicate. You will know exactly what I mean when I talk about prophecy. Prophecy is the God-given prediction of the future through a prophet. The God-given predictions of the future that comes through a prophet. And in the Bible, these prophets are called holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It isn't their words that we are concerned about. We're concerned about the fact that their, their words were sourced in the Holy Spirit Himself. And fulfilled prophecy is one of the strongest evidences that we have of the inspiration of the Scripture. What is it that gives us confidence that our Bibles are truly inspired? Well, among other things, it's the fact that we can look back and see these prophecies having been fulfilled, and we know that there was a supernatural element to that. Dr. Peter Stormer, a mathematician and a Christian, said, on the day that Jesus died, 33 Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in one day. And I don't have time to rehearse those with you, but I could go through the whole Bible and show you time after time when the prophet made a prediction, and hundreds of years later, that prophecy would be fulfilled. That can only happen with divine inspiration. In fact, the only one who can predict the future is the one who controls the future. The only one who could predict the future accurately is the one who will be in control of the future. Your Bible, hold it up there in your hand and go over about one-third of the way through, and that's how much of your Bible is prophetic. In fact, your Bible is almost exactly 27% prophecy. Of the 31,000 verses in your Bible, 8,352 of them to be exact, and that's 27% deal with prophecy. Next to your salvation and the subject of salvation, the second coming of Christ is the most frequently mentioned subject in the Bible. The New Testament has 216 chapters. 
there are in those 216 chapters, there are 318 verses or about one in 30 verses in the New Testament that refer to Christ's second coming or to related events. My Bible, I looked at it yesterday, and it has 291 pages in the New Testament. And if there are 318 verses that deal with the second coming of Christ, that means that there's a prophecy concerning the second coming for every page, and then there's many left over. At least once on every page of the Scripture, if you equal that out and average that out, there would be a prediction of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Walford was a professor down in Dallas, Texas at Dallas Seminary. He's probably the prince or the dean of prophetic preachers in America in modern times. He just died a few years ago. He wrote a book and it's lying on my desk right now. It's called All the Prophecies of the Bible. It's about that thick. It has 1,000 prophecies that he selected from the Scripture. There are more than that. But he selected 1,000 prophecies from the Bible. And then he would comment on those that have been fulfilled. Over 500 of the 1,000 prophecies that he has in that book have been already fulfilled. God keeps his word. There are four great themes that you're going to find in your Bible as you study the prophetic scriptures, and all of them lead to one point, and that's the return of Jesus Christ. First of all, there's a theme of the rebirth of Israel. Ezekiel 36, God said, I will regather them from all the nations, from all the nations. Israel's the only country that's ever been dispossessed twice, driven from their land. The nation ceased to exist. They came back after the Babylonian captivity, but they were all in one nation at that point. Then 500, 600 years later, they were driven out of their land again by the Romans in 70 AD, and they came back to the land in 1948. You talk about miracles. Never before in history has a land, as a nation, been totally dispossessed and come back. But in this case, they have come back twice. What a miracle. They have come back after 2,000 years of not existing as a nation. How do you explain that other than the hand of God? <clears throat> May the 14th, 1948. Israel was regathered and the flag flew again. Now, Israel is so important when you read your Bible. Israel is so important when you study Bible prophecy. It ought to be of the greatest concern of the people sitting in this room and watching on television here and wherever you are. It ought to be the gravest concern of your heart, if you are a Christian, to see the rising tide of anti-Semitism in the world hatred for the Jewish people. And there are even people who call themselves Christians, and they hate Jews just because they're Jews, the ultimate form of racism. And they hate the Jewish people. We call it anti-Semitism. That's what's fueling what is happening today in Israel and in the Middle East. And you see, Israel is God's bellwether. Israel is God's bellwether. What do I mean by bellwether? I've seen that word for years, but I finally discovered the meaning of it. 
In Scotland, the shepherds called their, the, 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 the lead male sheep in a herd of sheep, a flock of sheep, pardon me, when they called him the weather, W-E-T-H-E-R, the weather sheep. And they would put a bell around his neck so that wherever he went, the other sheep would be following him. And so the shepherd would know when he heard that bell that the bellwether was there, the lead head sheep, and that the other flock would be following him. Israel is God's bellwether. And wherever Israel goes right now is where you need to be looking in your Bible to match it up with the prophecies that would pertain to that. So last week, when you had this attack upon Israel by Hamas, the terrorist group, then if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you have your prophetic scriptures before you, you, your antenna has to go up and you have to say something really significant is happening right now in the world. On a long, dark shelf, alone stood a clock. The clock was not forgotten because of a lack of greatness or accuracy. It was a marvelously crafted clock. But for many, many years, the clock, the clock lay silent. And years before it fell silent, it ran and chimed and ticked and talked. But for many years, it lay dormant, frozen in time. The clock sat quietly until it happened, May 14, 1948. On that day, God's prophetic clock that had sat silent for 2,000 years started ticking again loudly. Israel is God's bellwether. Israel is God's time clock for his people. So, four great themes of prophecy. Number one, the rebirth of Israel. Number two, the realignment of end-time nations. And we know that there's going to be certain alignments where nations are going to become confederate. They're going to align themselves with other blocks of nations. One of those blocks of nations is described in Ezekiel 38 and 9, where Russia will come down and invade Israel, and will have with her Muslim nations from around the world, among them Iran and a number of other nations that exist even today. We know there'll be another confederation of nations in Europe, and that confederation will ultimately fall under the control of the Antichrist, and he will ultimately control most of the world. And we wonder when we look at those confederations, where is America? Is America even a player in Bible prophecy? What could have happened to America that she is not prominent in Bible prophecy? But we search and search, there's nobody there that even appears to be America. Has America been destroyed? Has America just ceased to exist? Has America gone so bankrupt and is so... um, so corrupt that she's just not a player, that she just doesn't matter anymore? All we can do is speculate. We don't know about that. The Bible doesn't 
give us any definitive information, except we know that there's an absence of anything that would seem to pertain to America. So the four great themes, the rebirth of Israel, the realignment of the nations, number three, the rapture. And of course, we know that there are no signs in the Bible of the rapture. We just know that Jesus said, John 14, 3, if I go away, I will come again, and I will take you unto myself. Where is myself? He is in the Father's house, as he describes it in the book of John chapter 14. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is a full description of the rapture and the first resurrection. When the Lord Jesus comes in the air, his feet will not even touch the earth. And all the saved of all the ages will be caught up to be with him in the air and taken to the Father's house. We will leave this planet if we're saved people. And we will go to wherever it is that Jesus abides and has been abiding. He has been there preparing a place for us. He said that with his own words. Why aren't we excited about that? And then he ends that passage there in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. I'm comforted by the thought of the rapture. Are you? Boy, I tell you what, somebody said, if the Lord is coming this afternoon, I'd say, I can handle that. I'll be ready for that. The last prayer of the Bible is, even so come, Lord Jesus. The last prayer of the Bible, we've been talking about prayer a lot. The last prayer of the Bible is, oh, Lord, come on. This world is in such a mess today. You say, that's escapism. So be it. Amen. I, I mean, we are at that point in history, are we not? The wickedness, the Bible says, will, and evil will come to a head. And after the rapture occurs, there will be that great tribulation period where Satan's proxy the beast, the Antichrist, will unite the whole world against God. And you watch all the explosion of atheism and the hatred of Christianity today in the world, and you say, you know, doesn't the Bible talk about this as a trend, that people are going to be united in their hatred of God and of His, of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? In 2 Thessalonians 2 and 11, the Bible says that God's going to send them strong delusion, referring to the people of the earth, strong delusion that they will believe a lie. What a powerful statement and one that you can see, you can see signs of that. And so we have the four great themes that all lead to the return of Christ the rebirth of Israel, the realignment of the end-time nations, the rapture, and then fourthly and lastly, the return of Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19. What are the benefits of studying prophecy? I've been studying prophecy right after I came here and founded the church. Why, it was 1973, we had the 1973 Yom Kippur War. And I'd bought a copy of Hal Lindsey's great book, The Late Great Planet Earth, sold 15 million copies. 
And it created a lot of expectation that maybe the Lord would be coming at that time, that that 1973 Yom Kippur War, when Israel was surrounded by all those nations and they attacked Israel, Egypt, and uh, all the nations surrounding her at that time. It looked, that, it looked uh, likely that Israel was going to be defeated. And suddenly, she won the battle. It was, uh, it was miraculous. If you read the histories, it, it was supernatural intervention, I'm, I'm convinced. And Israel won again in 1973. And I began studying prophecy because I said, this has got to be something that we, we need to live with this. I need to live with this as a preacher. I'd heard prophetic preaching all my life, my dad and others. And I've learned that studying prophecy will do this for you. Number one, it's a very practical thing. If you're living in the light of the Lord's return, the Bible says that um, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as, as he is pure. You're going to live differently if you think the Lord could come very, very soon. It's going to purify your life. There are going to be some habits and some practices and some things that you're involved in, and you're going to say, you know what? I've lost interest in that. In the light of eternity, that's a big, that's a big nothing burger. In the light of eternity, that doesn't matter. I'm going to live my life with an eternal view. That's the first thing. Prophet, prophecy is practical. Secondly, prophecy is relevant. When I open my Bible and I read the prophetic scriptures, I'm not reading an ancient book that is totally irrelevant now to touch with my day. When I read the prophetic scriptures, I'm reading something as relevant as tomorrow morning's newspaper. I'm reading about what is happening in the world right now. The description I read in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and I don't have time to go back and go through all that, but just read that. Perilous times shall come. What, what are the signs of perilous times? Number one, men will be lovers of their own selves. Men will be proud and heady and high-minded, and they won't listen to anything about the Lord. And you just go right on down through there. Every one of those signs, you can look around and you can see they're happening today in the world. And the benefit of studying prophecy is it's relevant, it's practical, but it's comforting. It's comforting. As Vance Havner famously said, I've read the last page and I know how things are going to end up. And so I'm not in despair this morning at what's happening in the world. I'm concerned about it. I'm certainly not in despair. I'm not about to go into a depression. I'm, I, I haven't eaten my fingernails into the quick because I know that our Lord Jesus Christ has everything in control, and I don't think it's going to be that long before he comes back and sets this thing right. It's just gotten to that point now where you can see it on the pages of prophetic Scripture. So the coming of Christ is the central issue of prophecy. It was in the Old Testament. It is in the New. In the Old Testament, the prophecies were the, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of that serpent. Christ is going to become victorious over him. That happened. By, that started, by the way, at Calvary. It's not complete yet. 
There was Balaam. Even a false prophet said there's going to be a star rise out of Israel. In Psalm 22, there is verse after verse of detailed description of the death of Christ on the cross. See, that was prophetic scripture. It wasn't fulfilled. It was written a thousand years before the cross. Isaiah chapter 7, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son 700 years before the son was born. Isaiah 53, a description of the cross. Micah, the prophecy of where he would be born, O Bethlehem of Ephratah, out of thee shall he come. And hundreds of prophecies like that, over 300 prophecies there, all detailing the events of the Lord Jesus Christ's life, all of them fulfilled in his lifetime, Old Testament prophecies. And now we're in the New Testament. We're deep into the New Testament era, 2,000 years into the New Testament era. And the countdown started on May the 14th, 1948. When I say countdown, I want you to think of... um, Cape Canaveral, Florida, and the missile setting on the pad, and the countdown starts. We don't get in on that. The, the, the news don't pick it up until a few hours or a day before. The countdown starts days before, sometimes weeks before, on a shot to space. And they're working, and they're counting down for that moment. And uh, sometimes there's delays. There has to be a repair. Something is not functioning right. A gauge shows that there's trouble somewhere. It has, they have to stop the countdown. It's delayed. They wait. They make the necessary repairs, and the countdown picks back up. You all know, though, what happens with a countdown. At some point in time, you're going to start hearing them say, 10. Nine, eight, seven, six, blast off. And that rocket's going to ascend into the air. It may blow up on the pad, but something's going to happen when they get down and say zero, blast off. Now, the countdown started 75 years ago. A significant number, by the way. 75 years ago, the countdown started when Israel became a nation. And we don't know the day or the hour, just like when we watch for the spacecraft to be blasted off, because there might be delays and setbacks, and we wait. And we're on God's time clock, which is a much bigger time clock than ours, a thousand years with the Lord is as a day. But we know there's going to be 10, 9, 8, blast off at some point. Where are we in the countdown? I don't know. Nobody knows. The Bible warns us very, very clearly. And if I were to give a date, you would probably say, I'm not ever coming back, or you should, because only false prophets give dates. So I don't know the day or the hour. No man knoweth the day or the hour, Matthew 24. But I do know this. Turn in your Bible to Matthew 24. Let's look there for a minute. This has been called the greatest prophetic chapter in the New Testament. It's hard to say which one's the best, but it's, it's really a critical one. 
And, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, or uh, to the Pharisees, pardon me, back in another chapter in Matthew, he said, you guys can look at the sky, and if it's red at night, you say, it's going to be clear tomorrow. And if you wake up in the morning and it's different color, you know the signs of the weather. You can t- look at the, the circumstances around you, and you can predict the weather. Why is it then that you can't predict the signs of where we are prophetically? And in Matthew 24, in verse 3, he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. They said to him, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? What are the signs, Lord? And so Matthew 24 is an account of the signs. He begins in verse 4. The first sign is take heed that no man deceive you. The sign is deception. There's going to be massive deception. Delusion is going to come upon them that they should believe a lie. That that, that parallels with the other passage. And then he describes world conditions beginning in verse 4. And I don't have time to read it. You can go all the way down through verse oh, 30 or so. And there are the signs. And he says, if you can see the signs of the weather, you ought to be able to see the signs of the Lord's return. And then we get to verse 32. Look at this one. Now, learn a parable, the fig tree. Now, he didn't explain to them what the fig tree was because they knew that the fig tree was one of the national symbols of Israel. He's talking about the nation of Israel. I want you to learn a parable of the nation of Israel or the fig tree. He uses a symbol. When his branch is yet tender and he puts forth his leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So, likewise, just like that is true with the fig tree, you, when you see, circle the word all, all these signs, what signs? Verses 4 through 32. When you see all these signs occurring simultaneously, you know it is near even at the door. When you see all these things happening, you know it's getting close. That's as close as anybody can come to tell you when the Lord is coming. We don't know. Could it be 100 years? It could be, but I don't think it is. Now, the reason I don't is go on to verse 34. And verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. What is a generation in the Bible? Well, It talks about the generation that perished in the wilderness. That's 40 years. But the one that I think probably is the most accurate would be Psalm 90 and verse uh, 10, where it says that the days of our life are threescore and ten, and if by strength they be fourscore or 80 years. I don't like that verse. doesn't speak well for me, but it's true whether I like it or not. The average lifespan is going to be 70 to 80, a generation of people. Israel was born. The fig tree bloomed. 
what? 75 years ago. May 14, 1948. 75 years. Do you understand why I think the coming of Christ is near? And I say that to people, and you know, they won't blow me off. I can tell I make them uncomfortable when I talk about it. You know, what you know how they react to it? Sometimes? Well, you know, they've been saying that forever. I know they have. What does that change? There's been, there's been ignorant people forever. People that didn't study their Bible didn't know the prophecies, Right? What's a generation? I think probably 70 to 80 years, but it might be a little more and it might be a little less. I don't know. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 18, though. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, the only person that's not comforted by the teaching of prophecy is the person who is unsaved or the carnal Christian who's living away from the Lord don't want the Lord to come because he'd break up your party. You'd have changed your life. Your lifestyle is not what he would approve of, so you don't want the Lord to come. Last thing you want would be for the Lord to come today because it, it just changed the whole world around you. So in light of what I've preached now, what are we to do? Look up here. Listen to me. As George Bush said, read my lips. Live your life. Go on and live your life. We, nowhere are we told to get out here and live on a hill somewhere and separate ourselves and all that. Go back to the Ukraine and help those people. Go to your job. Live your life. Make sure, first of all, of your salvation. The Bible says, examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. Do a checkup on yourself every now and then. Make sure of your salvation because you sure don't want the Lord Jesus Christ to come and you have not been prepared for that all along. But don't play games with God. This is such a serious time and I see so many Christians, they're playing games with God. Convenience Christianity as practiced in America today is not what the Bible talks about as being Christianity. Live for Jesus, folks, not halfway, but all the way. The most miserable people I know are the people who got one foot in, in the church and one foot out of the church. You know why they're miserable? They're miserable with the world because they know it's wrong. And they're miserable over here at the church when they come here because they're convicted. And they're just miserable people. Either live for the Lord or don't live for the Lord, for heaven's sakes. Get married. Have a lot of kids. Let me say that again. Have a lot of kids. That's scriptural. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Get your education. Start a business, but be faithful to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Get involved in his cause and witness to everybody. And you know what? Immediately we want to go to the gospel. Maybe immediately we ought to start talking to people about the Lord is coming. That might get their attention in this, in this time of hardened hearts, mightn't it? Somebody said it like this. Plan like Jesus is not coming back for 100 years and live 
like he's coming back this afternoon. That's good advice. Plan your life like Christ is not coming for a hundred years, but live like he's coming back this afternoon. Bow your head with me in prayer.